Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. All right, I'm not the kind of guy that is, would just show you uh, cheap, cute videos of cats and children and all that, but I'm going to right now. You need to see this video if you have not seen it of these children. Look at me. You can have fruit snacks, but you can't have them right now, okay? You gotta wait. You gotta wait until mommy and daddy come back, okay? You can't eat these yet. You gotta wait until we come back. I'm gonna leave them right here. Don't touch them. Wait, okay? We're gonna come back. Don't Wait. eat them yet. Don't eat them. We'll be right back. We just gotta go get something. Just go, just wait a second. So, so many questions. One would be, what were those parents thinking? Like, really, did they think that was going to work? <laughs> like, there's zero chance kids are going to make it through that, you know, like that, that. But also, when I saw that, I was like, that is the most relatable video ever. Like, I, I because we look at that and we go, man, I mean, they're just children. They're, they can't control themselves. No, they are us, just smaller versions. Now, the candy has gotten better as adults. The things we go after have gotten better, but they are us. It's still the same, like, me wants it, you know, like, I, you know, that, that, that smile, that look of, like, I got to have it. You all know what that is. You, you have that as adults as well. There is something, like, hardwired in us where we just want things, not just, oh, I think that would be nice sort of intellectually, but, like, deep down inside of us, we have these strong bodily desires for things. It it could be food. Um, I want to eat healthy, but also molten chocolate lava cake with ice cream is so good. And when I see it, I'm like, I got to have all of that. Like, I'm just going to eat all of it, and I don't care if it's not healthy. That, that doesn't feel like an intellectual choice. It's in my body, right? Um, we desire things physically at a very deep level. We desire to be touched, to have physical touch, to be connected to other people, a hug or anything. We desire things like sex. Sex is a desirable thing, not just in our brains, but in our bodies. We, we long for that connection. We desire, honestly, to be known by people and to really know people. We desire, in a physical way almost, to, to have people understand us. We desire for things like um, meaning and, and purpose in life. Like, we long for these things. We seek them out. And, and it's, again, these are not just intellectual pursuits. These are something that's going on in our bodies. The truth is, our desires come first and foremost from, from God. Um, he, the, the scripture teaches us that. The human body is amazing. The scripture says that the body is fearfully and wonderfully made. And I think that's true, don't you? Like, it's incredible. And, it, and it, talk to doctors, talk to people in the medical field, like how intricate and amazing the body is and how it does the things that it does. The human body is un- unbelievable. 
And I think it's amazing on purpose. I don't think it's an accident that our bodies do what they do and they work the way that they work. It's not just some trick of evolution over billions of years and all that kind of stuff. I, I would say when you, when you really study the body and look at what's going on with us, there's elements of design in there. You go, man, somebody thought this up and, and gave the instructions and the code to make this thing work. There's engineering almost to something that we would consider to be natural, the body, but there's a design to it. So if there is a design to the body, there is a designer. Anytime you see something that looks purposeful, you have to go, well, what purpose was it made and who made it? Like, let's look at the person who drew up the plans or whatever. And this is what we do when we go back to the scripture and we talk about the body, who we are, physical beings. Why were we made? How were we made? What were the instructions that we came with? What is our purpose? What, you know, how, how do we actually work? We can actually go back and see that stuff in the scripture. And in this series, Body Language, we're talking about what our bodies tell us about God and, and what God tells us about our bodies. And, and because we are embodied creatures, we are not, you know, a brain on a stick. We are, uh, we are heart, body, mind, soul, all these things together. And so we're, we're talking about what the body tells us. And, and frequently in this series, I want to go back to Genesis 1. We looked at it last week. We're going to look at it again in two weeks. Genesis 1, let me read to you how God creates humanity, because we got to go back to the beginning. Why did he give us the bodies he gave us? Genesis 1.26 says this, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and every little living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given away every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the creation of humanity and the way it is laid out in Scripture, what God was doing when he made us. And there's a couple things to notice there. God gives us a purpose he doesn't just make people and just be like, well, good luck and figure out whatever you feel like doing. That's fine. He says, no, I want you to have dominion over this place. I want you to take care of the animals, the fish, the sea, the land, like take care of what the creation that I've given you. And he says, fill the earth and subdue it. So he says, uh, basically, I'm giving you starter materials. You, this guy, this girl, you guys get together and make more of you, right? Quite, quite obviously, quite literally, he's saying make more, like reproduce yourselves. So we have been given a mission. We're not purposeless. We're not just floating around trying to figure it out. He gave us a mission. And the mission and the purpose that he's given to us is wired into our bodies. It's not just an intellectual mission. It actually works in the body. The body, uh, men and women can come together and can create something physically. They can create new life. Like it's an incredible thing. Um, and he talks about food. Uh, and he gives detailed instructions on, on things that you should eat. And the body corresponds to that, right? The body craves it. We have a hormone that we produce called ghrelin. When, when ghrelin kicks up in your body, you feel hungry. And you go, oh, that's that, that growling in your stomach, you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm hungry. The body is craving the thing that God designed for it to crave. The body desires sex, which is a thing God 
wired into the system here at the beginning, like you need to reproduce. Also, I'm going to make your body want to do that, so it all works out really well. Um, he makes these things desirable so that we will go after them. And these desires should tell us some things about God, and they should also tell us some things about us, about what we need, about what we should be paying attention to, about what our purpose is, like where are we going and why. Um, so first thing I want to I point out is this from that. Number one, desires are from the Lord. Desires in your body are from the Lord. However, they can get messed up real quick, and not all of them are good. There's this, that's Genesis 1. If we go over to Genesis 3, we see that uh, Satan enters, the serpent enters the scene, and there's this temptation from Adam and Eve, those first two people. They have this job, they're doing their thing in, in paradise, and the serpent comes along and tempts them, and he tempts them through the body. He basically says, oh, there's one tree you're not supposed to eat. God puts these boundaries in place and says, don't eat from this tree. The serpent comes along and says, oh, there's one tree. You should eat that from that tree. It's really good. The fruit is good. You're going to like it. Uh, and then you're going to learn things. You're going to be like God. And uh, listen to what it says, Genesis 3, how it, how it goes down. So when the woman saw, this is Eve, right? When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew, what? Something about their body. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. If you look at that closely, you see a lot of language about the body and about desire in there. She looks at it with her eyes. She lusts after the thing. She goes, ooh, that looks really good. And all of humanity has paid for it, so it better have been good, Eve. Like, it better have been really great, because we've got a lot of problems since you did that, Adam and Eve. Like, you guys kind of blew that. But it's a body thing, right? His appeal to her is, this is going to taste good, and it's going to do good things for you. It's going to feel good. It's going to be great. In fact, the serpent tempts her and says, you're going to become like God. You're going to become wise. And, and, and that is the lie. That is the, the, the appeal of the lie is, man, this is going to taste good and feel good, and it's going to be great for you. And he, he preys off of their desires and, and makes them uh, disordered. And we have been struggling with that ever since. It's funny to me, side note, and maybe I've pointed this out before, somebody pointed it out to me. When you, if you have an iPhone and you turn that thing off and you turn it back on, what is the first thing that comes up on the screen? An apple with a bite out of it? Don't you think we're, they're trying to tell us something there? Like, they're trying to tell us something that's like one more thing that, that promises to make you like a god. Have this and stare into this gaze. You will have your desires fulfilled if you will just take a bite out of this apple. Interesting side note, I thought. Um, but those desires that are in us, that the, the serpent goes after, um, they're deeper than intellectual, right? They're, they're, they're things of the eyes of the body. This is why we have people whose job is to stage food for photos, to make food, to make the, the cheese melt perfectly on the hamburgers and make the lettuce puff up so it looks really great so that when they take the photo, because you eat it with your eyes first, you lust after it with your body before you ever put it uh, in, your, in your mouth. Um, and so th- this all happens to Eve. And so... Although our desires are from the Lord, this reminds us, especially post that moment, number two, our desires can be disordered. 
Just because desires are from the Lord does not mean they are all, that all of them are, going, are good or that we don't take all of them and, and take a good desire and make it a bad thing. Sin has entered the world at that moment and plays out throughout all of humanity and it has broken the system. We want things now that are contrary to what God wants for us. In our bodies, we desire things that we probably just shouldn't desire. We, we lust after, we long for at a very physical level things that actually aren't all that good for us. And, and we go against the thing God's designed us to, to enjoy and go against the things he's given us that would actually help us flourish. And all of us have experienced this. The desire for food is normal and good, but our food has gotten crazy, right? And there's a million documentaries on this. You, you know this, right? There's more sugar in a can of Pepsi just one can of Pepsi that, you know, there's probably enough sugar in there to, like, kill a horse or something. Like, I don't, like, there's more sugar in there than people should have in a day, and it's in one can. And once we get used to that, our desires for it become a little much. They become sort of dis- disordered. Uh, we, we've gone overboard. This is true of all sorts of things. Sexual relationships. We have a desire for that a longing even in our bodies to, to connect that way, and you see that from the beginning, but we've taken that overboard. We've got disordered desires around that. We, 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 we've turned that into, um, we've turned sex not into a bonding thing between a couple to, for reproduction. We've turned it into uh, this commitmentless game, this, this thing to go get, this conquest, this whole thing um, around sex, and We are suffering consequences of that in our bodies. And I'm not just talking about diseases and things like that, but even things like uh, like you're you're seeing all this data coming out that's saying that um, erectile dysfunction is happening for men ages 18 to 30, which is exactly not a group of people that should be struggling with that. But they're seeing that. And what is that? Why is that happening? Because our desires have become over-desires. I just remembered, I think this is one of the first Sundays that fifth graders who go up into middle school are now in church. Welcome, kids. <laughs> Welcome, middle school. We got some things to talk about. Uh, so what is going on there? What is going on? We, we've taken these desires and we've taken them too far, and we are actually paying the penalty for that in our bodies. Um, and and it's, it's, it's disorders. Our desires have become disordered. Our desires um, in the New Testament are described, uh, sometimes it can be a healthy thing, but there's a word, we looked at this a couple weeks ago when we were studying through First John, there's a word uh, for lusts, and it's over-desire, basically, it's epithumia, and it means to, to not just desire something, but to over-desire. And it's not that our desires are a problem, it's that our over-desires are a problem. And when we overindulge, we start hurting ourselves and our bodies, in ways, um, and, we, and when we use our bodies in ways outside of the way God designed them, we end up paying a price for that. Now, modern psychology is just kind of figuring this out. The scripture has warned us about this for millennia. But modern psychology in the modern world, we're sort of figuring this out now. We're sort of going like, oh, I don't know, maybe me eating everything I want all the time, there's a downside to that. Maybe I could have done that in the 50s when the general standard of food might have been okay. Although I've seen those jello molds, man. Those couldn't have been good for you. Um, maybe, maybe we could have got away with that, but we can't now. You can't just eat whatever the heck because it, 
you pay a price in your body, uh, you know? Our, 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 our psychology is sort of figuring out, and you're seeing studies come out and going like, you know, maybe the constant stream of video games, alcohol, Netflix, the dopamine hit in your brain over and over and over, I'm not sure that's really working. I'm not sure that we're flourishing with that. I'm not sure that we're happier. I'm not sure we're coming out of that constant binge feeling more satisfied, and we're, we're not experiencing more joy and more flourishing as we get hooked up to the IV drip of that dopamine. It's not going well in our bodies. Psychology is figuring that out. The truth is our bodies do have desires and we need to pay attention to what those are. But number three, our desires need to be reined in. Our desires need to be reined in on some level. Um, You see this in scripture, uh, this kind of language shows up in various places in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul writes a letter to the church in Rome And in Romans chapter 6, he says it this way, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. That is a very physical thing he's talking about. He's not just saying, get your mind right or get your heart right. All of that we would agree with. Yes, your soul, your heart, your mind, you need to connect that to God. But he's specific about your body as well and say, don't let sin reign in the members of your body. Present even that, even the body, present that to the Lord. You've got to rein that stuff in. He's pointing us to that. Don't just obey your thirst, as the commercial used to say. Don't just obey your passions. Some desires that you will feel in your body will be contrary to what is good for you and what is good for me and and what is good for others around you. And Paul tells us to rein those things in because if you don't, um, your over-desires will create problems in your body. It will create separation between you and God as you sin, and it'll cause separation between you and other people as you end up using people to meet your over-desired uh, desires. Um, and, and I know our culture doesn't tell us that because our culture, in this, in, especially in a capitalist society that we live in, our culture is trying to sell you something. So our culture is going to say, you know, obey your thirst. Uh, basically, the heart wants what it wants. Follow your heart, that kind of thing. And the scripture, way back even before Jesus' day, the scripture was telling us, no, do not just follow your heart. What the scripture actually says is, the heart is deceitful above all things who can trust it. So you go, wait a second. No, it's not follow your heart. Reign that sucker in. Uh, and, and that's not easy. The Apostle Paul, later in Romans chapter 7, he says it this way. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul's very honest about it. He's like, this isn't great sometimes. I try to do what's right, but then there's this thing inside me that's waging against us. I have sin in my body, desiring things that I shouldn't desire, wanting the things I shouldn't want. And I got to do something about it. And he ends up almost like you can picture him sort of throwing his hands up in the air like, who can save me from this body of death? If I read you the next verse, guess what he says? Jesus. It's the Sunday school answer, but it's true. He's like, who can save me from this body of death? Oh, Jesus can. Jesus can rescue me. He helps us sort through those desires 
in our, in our body and, and rein those things in. Um, how does he do that? Number one, Jesus' teaching provides boundaries. Any moral teacher in the history of the world is going to stand up there and say to you, this is a good thing to do. This is a bad thing to do. This is the right way to live. This is the wrong way to live. It's not narrow-minded bigotry to decide this is the way I should live and this is the way I should not live and these are good and bad things to do. That is not overly judgmental or anything like that. That is just how ethics and values work in the history of ever. This is how it goes. We we, we say, we, we go, I need guidance here. How should, how should we live? And there are moral and ethical teachers who will say, this is what truth is. This is what life is. This is what abundance is. This is what death is. This is, you know, and Jesus comes along and he teaches those things. Um, and he teaches us how to say yes to things. And he teaches us to say no to things. And he teaches us the things that are worth saying yes and no to. And he helps us uh, rein in our, our desires by providing some boundaries. And he does it kind of famously in his Sermon on the Mount. He takes a topic and then he goes deeper in it and shows us where the boundaries should be. For example, the topic of murder. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be, li- will be liable to the hell of fire. Um, Jesus takes something that uh, almost none of us struggled with. Or, like, we probably haven't murdered someone. Maybe you have, I don't know, I'm, I'm glad you're, you know, God is doing work in your life or whatever. But like, most of us on a day-to-day, we're not like, oh, I, I need to just not murder someone today. You know, like, I've, I've had my coffee, I'm good, you know, whatever. Like, um, but he, he says, no, the problem isn't murder in your body. It's not just, oh, try really hard not to murder today. The problem is in your heart around anger. Like, and he draws a line there. Hey, if you want to not murder, watch your anger. Don't watch your not murder skills. Watch your anger. Notice what you call people when you insult people. Nobody's, nobody's been happy and joyfully murdered. They got there somehow because they were angry, because they loathed, they, they had contempt for someone. And Jesus draws a boundary around that. He's not putting a fence around murder. He's putting a fence around anger and going, you got to pay attention to this because this can go there. He does it all the time. He does it with lust. Same sort of thing. Adultery. Don't cheat on people. Don't have sex with people you're not married to. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. I'll put it on the screen. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body being thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Literally, he's not saying gouge your eyes out, but he is pointing us to a very physical thing that goes on here. You see things with your eyes and you desire them. And the problem isn't just cheating on someone or having sex outside of marriage. The problem is what are you looking at? This is where he puts the boundary down. This is where he goes, you've got to rein it in there so that it doesn't go there later. And that's, that's, that's how it works. There, you have desires um, in the body, but they begin with where you're looking and what you're focusing on. So he's training us to draw a boundary in the place where culture does not, and that is key. We live in a culture that will not draw those boundaries for you. In fact, it will encourage you to not have any, and they will call it freedom, 
we will say, in this country in particular, we'll say, you are free to do whatever you want to do, and you will be free. Just have at it. Go whatever your heart desires to do. Go get it. And that kind of freedom is not truly free. That kind of freedom leads to a different form of slavery. Paul says it this way in Galatians 5, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Yes, freedom, go. Thumbs up. I mean, Paul's not waving like an American flag, but it's, it's Roman version, first century freedom. Only, he says, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Yes, be free, but reign it in, in a way that culture doesn't. If you just listen to culture on this, you can justify anything in a don't tread on me sort of way. You can do whatever you want, and then you will eventually, and I think this is true, and a lot of us have experienced this, in your freedom where you can do whatever you want, when your desires un- are unchecked, you become enslaved to something else. Um, you hand over your freedom and, and take up the chains of something else. So uh, you, you've seen this with drinking, you've seen this with food, you've seen this with lust. Uh, the freedom without limitations just ends up being another form of slavery. So we need to know Jesus' boundaries and live them out. Practically, this might mean, hey, I, I can't have internet access that is unfiltered. I need boundaries around that, so I watch what I look at. Um, I can't, if I have an eating problem, I can't be going to the all-you-can-eat all buffet. If I drink too much, I'm not going to go to a place with an open bar. Um, if I'm spending too much, I need to figure out some things and go on a spending freeze. Dave Ramsey used to tell people to literally put their credit card in a block of ice um, in, the, in the freezer, which probably worked before Amazon just stored your information, but whatever. It was a cool idea. Um, but if you show me a tyrant or a third world dictator, I will show you someone without boundaries who has not drawn a line around something. As someone who overindulges, it's because you have not drawn and, and tried to rein in those things. We need restraints. And Jesus' teachings actually give us very good and helpful restraints on our desires. And secondly, I just want to say this, the Holy Spirit can, can guide us. Um, Jesus told his disciples, hey... Uh, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you when I leave, and he's going to live inside you. And we believe that when you give your life to Christ and you're baptized into him, his spirit lives inside you. The Holy Spirit is in you. And part of what the spirit does is give you a check on your desires. It gives you that gut check. Now, all of us understand this on some level. All of us have a conscience, whether you're a follower of God or not. You have a conscience. There are things you go, that's a good thing to do, that's not a good thing to do. Some of it is very bodily, sort of innate, like don't step out into traffic. Like we go, ah, I probably shouldn't do that. Like you you, you know that at a deep level because you get afraid if you even try it, right? Like, ah, that's not something I should do. But even morally, even people who seem more like sociopaths or whatever, for the most part, people have some sort of compass in there that goes like, hey, these are good things to do. These are not good things to do. And what Scripture teaches us is that when you give your life to Christ and are baptized into him, the Holy Spirit lives in you, and he functions as a gut check and whispers to your conscience and says, no, this is the way to go. This is not the way to go. And that, is, um, that takes some time to learn to hear that voice and understand, is that the voice of God? Is that the voice of me? Is that my mom's voice in my head? Is that, you know, what what is this? But over time, we can learn. We can learn what Jesus' teachings are that help rein us in, and we can learn um, to hear God's Spirit communicating to us and and helping us along the way. Um, So 
How do we do that? And this is where I want to bring my friend Doug out onto stage. Um, Doug, throwing our microphone backstage, and then come on out. Uh, hi, Doug. Hey. Uh, this is Doug. Hi. Uh, Doug is uh, from Atlanta. I feel bad for him, but, and I've, we've talked about it. I feel um, bad for me, too. But he's not, but he's, but he's not there now, so he's happy. Um, he's from Atlanta area, and um, he and I have been talking about discipleship because part of what I'm telling you is really just we need to be disciples of Jesus, and when we follow him, he guides us. Um, but how do we do that well? How do we be disciples in today's world? This is a question every church that's serious about, about following Jesus is trying to figure out and how to do well. Um, Doug's church outside of Atlanta um, kind of got onto some things about a dozen years ago and started um, developing some ways to disciple people. And um, when I first heard what they were doing, I thought it was crazy. And then I thought, actually, it's good, and I think, I think they're onto something. So I invited him here to teach about 17 of our leaders here at the church the last two days. So he's been with us. He said he'd stay through Sunday morning. So I just wanted to ask him, uh, Doug, when it comes to making disciples, which involves being obedient to Jesus and following him and hearing how he guides us, uh, what did you learn 13 years ago that you started applying in your church and you are now seeing happening in churches all over the world? Oh, wow. Okay, so... Um I think what we, we found was, for us, that most of us lacked um, food. So, just food. Like, we just, we didn't have um, the truths. So, we talk about the Holy Spirit guiding us, or I love this, putting boundaries around us. But we didn't have fence material. Like, we didn't have posts. We didn't have this and that. And so, when we started kind of looking at our people, and let's just look at my own life and my own experience, it's, when I struggle, it's because I, I didn't know what I didn't no. And so, like, the, the very first thing we decided was, like, maybe we should read the Bible. But that maybe was... should read the Bible? Yeah, like, we should That'll just read it. That will never work, by the that way. That will never work. Um, and, and statistically, it didn't. I mean, and we, we struggle. We struggle getting people to read the Bible and, and doing that kind of stuff. And, and then I kind of just had this epiphany that somehow I became a disciple. And, of course, you know my story, but I, everybody wanted me to get saved out of everything. I was the guy who your daughters uh, should never have dated and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and pretty, you know, stern in business and those kind of things. So I was that guy, and they couldn't wait, you know, to the campaign to get me to find uh, God. And I'm thankful for that, but then they didn't know what to do with me. And so I, I kind of was there, like, and I, figured, I would figure things out, like it was obvious, no draw a line around no adultery and, and those kind of things. But I, I had a lack just deep inside of me. And so I was like, well, how did I get here? Because my life's better now. And I realized there was a day where I just got so frustrated. I decided I was going to read the Bible as fast as I could. And so I read it in eight weeks. Um, but I didn't like do notes and study. I just read it. And I would just underline whatever stuck out. And I got more data, more food, more things I can make boundaries out of in those eight weeks than I had in the years of my Christianity. And so we decided, hey, maybe we could do that for somebody else. Could we make it simple, right? Because we need, we need fence materials, right? Because I don't know what I don't know. So I'd face some new thing at business or, boy, raising kids, you know, or things like that. And I was like, ah. And so, so we started just trying to do that for people, and going like, and we found there was extreme value. Like other people were as smart as I was. Like they could read the book and they could figure this out. Like got the Holy Spirit. I love this message. It's like perfect. You know, this is like the Holy Spirit could then go, hey, don't do that. 
And so, so it just started working. Like all of a sudden, we, instead of just struggling, people were, were starting to thrive. And they're starting to do it on their own. And they just got, you know, we just spent our story so long, but we just spent years. I'm a decision scientist. So we just kind of dove in and kept tweaking this and like, how could we deliver that experience to people and make it easy? Like, uh, um, if you're in business, like kind of onboarding, like how could people get onboarded into Christianity to where it would actually work for them? Like we would deliver on the promise we made. Whoa. And so you actually, this, this is so funny because when I first met Doug last year or something, you know, he's like, we just got people to read the Bible. And I'm just, it, y'all know me. I have a, a, a decent amount of skepticism and cynicism in my life. And I sort of like, I feel like I've heard it all and whatever. And he's like, we just get people to read the Bible. And I'm like, that'll never work. People aren't going to read, you know, or whatever. But it did work. So like, and you've been doing it for a decade or more. So I guess I'm wrong about that. Um, what, what is some of the stories, like the success, like what have you seen happen? I mean, because it works for you because you're a pastor now or whatever it works for me going past but like in yes. in normal people we get a special pill yeah when we special, take the job we take the, the pill the pastor pill it's all yeah. great because we're perfect and everything you're not a skeptic are you a little i mean a little okay bit. so uh, yeah so um gosh i can how many stories um so uh, how about the the mom wonderful she's so wonderful she's uh, in her early 30s and she's just struggling like in her marriage and she's struggling raising her kids and her husband's maybe not so present in the relationship and and she's like but i just really want to follow god but we, you know we don't really know what that means but she's really what she's doing is crying out for help right in my situation how do i do this and so she embraces this little pathway of discipleship or just becoming a disciple and she's just reading through the bible and ever she's reading through with a group of people and they're sitting in a room and they're in their like discipleship thing and and one of the people highlighted like um like uh, this I highlighted this Jezebel person like she was just a real witch like she was just mean to her husband and controlling and da 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 and her kids didn't like her and all the stuff and he gets quiet for a moment and then this thirty year old wonderful beautiful nice human being right to goes I just realized I'm Jezebel and we're like. Oh gosh, what do you say to that? Like, yeah, we knew. Yeah, okay, you can. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so she just had her moment just because of the word of God, not therapy, not anything. And her whole life is, I can't even tell you, like it's just her life changed and just began to change overnight. And it takes time. She had to fight those, those things. And she realized she just kind of been raised, you know, environment. And, and so it could just go like, um, just, you could just do this again and again and again. The guy who's sitting there and just realizes he's never really thought about like, God knows everything. By the way, God knows everything. Isn't that cool? And so he was like, when I'm going to start making my sales deals, I'm going to start praying before I pursue clients. And his close rate went like up 35%. And you're like, okay, now you're using God like, you know, Jack in a box or Burger King. No, it's just, he was like, well, God knows these people. I don't know them. So I'm going to ask, which of these is most likely? And so he started pursuing those people first. And he just, his boss kept giving him these cruddy jobs. Like the more he would win, I mean, these are huge, multi-million, billion dollar contracts. And he would just give him these terrible deals. And he would close them one after the other. And so his boss, who's not saved, says to him, how are you doing this? He said, I'll tell you, I ask God which ones to do. Of course, that went over well. But to this day, I mean, he is just making bejoodles of money. And more than just even the money, it's just experiencing that like God could actually work. Mm. 
Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, we um, are going to uh, step into a, a process here, uh, really starting today, and I've kind of hinted at it a little bit, but we're going to ask people to um, join, join groups where we read through the scripture together and uh, in, invite, invite you all into that. We've, we've trained up leaders the last couple of weeks, or uh, last couple of days to do that, and we've been working on this for months to, to kind of roll that out here this fall. We're very excited about it. Um, what would you what would you tell people what would be your pitch you would say like no this is a good thing to do why why um gosh so how do i do that i could tell you that thousands of regular human beings um embrace the idea of fear not you can actually read this book um because it's not study it's not it's not every, it's not anything it's just simple I am a decision scientist, and he did show us a way that's so absolutely fun that, like, after th- three or four or five weeks, people are like, you don't even have to ask them. They're just like, I'm going to read. Um, do I have time to tell one quick aha uh-huh or no? You better, yes, for yeah? sure. Go for it. You sure? Yeah. Okay. So uh, the, it's my Gucci story. It's my favorite one right now. So recently in a group I'm leading, and it's discipleship one. You know, people are just learning to read the Bible. We're in Exodus, because I said Genesis, and he corrected me last time. Exodus. And God parts the waters of the Red Sea, right? Like it parts them, and they're reading about the story, and she highlights it, and I go, why'd you highlight that? Like you're just reading it. She's like, oh, it's just so cool. The ground was dry. Did you guys ever notice that? So he parts the water of the sea to save his people. They walk over, but he says, and the ground was dry. And I was like, cool, so why'd you highlight it? Like, what, what stuck out? She said, oh, I just realized I could wear my Gucci's and follow God anywhere, and they'll never get muddy. You know, and the whole room just lights up because that's how practical the word of God is. And when you dig a little deeper, like, okay, she goes, no, but I mean, he, he'll take care of me. Now, that's, that's what I became a Christian for. It's not what I experienced when I became a Christian necessarily. I felt kind of like I couldn't do this, but it became practical. And then the whole group gets addicted to going and searching for their cool moment with God. And a year later, what you find yourself is feeling very prepared, very confident, and kind of skilled at this faith that will fuel us and, and, and control us and, and, and guide us to those things that are winning, I guess, desires and winning uh, practices for God. And, and so my thing would be this, just uh, fear not. It's, it's this not anything that may have scared you in the past. It is a journey into value, and it will deliver value to you because his word does that. So. Cool. Well, thank you, Doug, for your time. And, yeah, um, thanks here's, for letting here's me what be we're here. Do. When, he, uh, when we dismiss here um, and we say, you know, go in peace or whatever, if you want to hear more, uh, we're going to be in the balcony up there. So just go out, sta- go out up the stairs. Come talk to us because we will have people who are going to be leading groups, these formation groups, they're going to be leading them. They'll be up there. Doug will be up there. You can hear more about it. I'll be up there. We just want to talk to you. As many of you as are ready, I think there's donuts too. So that if that, if, if you know, we're going to feed the body as well. Um, but but go, go there for that. And um, we, we would love to talk to you more about this and hopefully you can be a part of it. Thanks, Doug. Thanks. Look, I just want to, I just want to close with this. Um, this is really what I want to do. This is what I've always wanted to do as a church. The very first day our church launched was 15 years ago, and about three weeks from now, 15 years ago. And uh, my best friend Carl and I, he launched a church the week before we did. And we asked each other the same question after the first worship service that we ever gathered together. We asked each other this question. Um, 
We said not how many people showed up or what was the music like or what did you preach about or any of those kind of like churchy things. We just said this. Uh, we said, did you make any disciples? Hey, did you make any disciples? Okay. And we're like, well, maybe, you know, and, and like for a decade or more, it's always like, well, how do you, how would we quantify that? And what does it look like for people to follow Jesus on their own and not have to be, they're not spoon fed, but they get it and they're fired up and they're doing their thing and they're growing. And, and this is what we want for people. This is what we've always wanted for people. This is what we want to do at the church is to take people who are far from God and connect them to God and others and, and do this thing and grow. So if you want to join us, uh, we'll be in the balcony when we're done here. Come talk to us. Just find out a little bit more about it. These groups are launching in two weeks, and we would love for you to um, be, a par- be a part of it. Uh, we're going to run over on time here, so I got to go. So let me just uh, let me let me just wrap it up and let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for the bodies you've given us and even the desires that are in us. God, help us to learn to recognize the desires that are good and the desires that are disordered, and and really understand the difference and know um, when we when we're stepping outside the boundaries. God, the boundaries are for our good, for our flourishing, for our health, for our protection. Um, help us to learn to listen to you and listen to to what you're doing there. Thank you, Lord, for this community. In Jesus' name, amen.